Hey, what's up? This is Jessica Curson. Welcome to Relatively Sane. I decided to do the intro today for this episode as a man. I think it'll help me uh, get more followers if I do it as a man. Um, so, really, thanks so much, guys, for uh, for listening and for supporting Relatively Sane. You can find us at a uh, you know Relatively Sane all over the internet, and uh, the host name is Jessica Curson, Jesse Curson on Instagram, and please follow me on Patreon because like it's really good. Patreon.com slash Jessica Curson. I'm really proud of myself, man. I've worked really hard, you know. So what I wanted to talk today about was, uh, talk about today, sorry, I'm dyslexic. What I wanted to, about today, talk is um, I have had some erectile dysfunction lately. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are really embarrassed to talk about this, but not me, man. It's been hard, you know been really hard for me to get it up, keep it up, keep it in, take it out, swing it around. It's been hard. And um I don't feel shame, you know? I've I've uh I've accepted it. It's not like I'm shitting myself or you know, I have fucking a disease. It's a, it's a problem a lot of guys have. So what I do is uh I've I've been going to a therapist who's been helping me. Um you know, because I'm so talented and amazing, I'll watch videos of myself and I'll jerk off to those videos of myself. And they're, jo- they're not just videos of me watching myself. They're videos of me watching myself watching myself. So, like, the video will be taken by someone of me watching myself on a video and it really turns me on, you know, to see myself, watching myself, watch myself. Because, like, I'm, I'm really fucking good at what I do. So, um, if you can film yourself watching yourself, watching yourself, watching yourself, and then you could film that and watch yourself, I think you can get hard. And if that doesn't work, um, just... Listen, I know this is going to sound really fucked up, but go to the market and buy some... This is really... It's really going to be weird for a lot of you, but it works. Go get some fucking organic peanut butter. Because organic is... I mean, even though I eat a lot of ass, I get organic peanut butter because it's really good for you important if it's organic you can't you can't just eat organic ass you're not going to know which ass is organic and which which ass isn't organic sorry that was my dyslexia so you get organic peanut butter and you fucking take a jar and just fucking put your whole fucking hand in it and then you jerk off to watching video of yourself jerking off with organic peanut butter watching yourself jerk off with organic peanut butter on a farm. That'll fucking, that'll work. I really hope this has helped a lot of you in your life and you've grown from hearing this and this experience. 
again, go to my Patreon because I'm a man and I need you to support me because I can't get hard. Thanks for listening to Relatively Sane. Please welcome Luis J. Gomez. Hi, guys. Welcome to Relatively Sane. I am here with the brilliant, amazing, what's trailblazer? That's a word I'm going to give you. Nice. I like it. Fearless. It, it, maybe not in real there's, life, there's, but there's you've seen that there. way a lot. Yeah. I know, but it's you hide it well, which I do too. It's very good. Luis Gomez is here. Luis J. Gomez. I have to correct you. If really? I correct you, if I correct Joe Rogan, I, I got to correct you. Did you correct? Did you correct him too? I didn't. I didn't correct Joey Diaz when he did because Joey feels like your uncle, where he's just like I know he seems like he has Alzheimer's. So you don't want to be mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I use the J, um, and uh, I I wouldn't actually even really correct people because I don't really give a shit at this. But point. your name. But well, at this point, if I don't correct you, people listening to this are like, "Why didn't he correct Jessica?" What's he corrects the J everyone. stand for? Uh, juice layer. Yeah. Oh, that's I, you Lewis. know what? That's why I've always liked you because yeah. I have self hatred. Yeah, because I slay juice. <laughs> what is it? What does it stand for? James. Okay. Well, I everyone calls me Kirsten. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. My real last name is Kirsten. But Kirsten. I never correct anyone. So Kirsten. now I'm in the opposite position. If I don't. If I correct you now, it seems insane. Yeah, it's a little crazy. Because even close friends of mine say Kirsten. Yeah, yeah. So can you imagine if I'm like, it's Kirsten. Yeah, that would be, at this point, after knowing you for like yeah. at least a decade, like, all right, relax. I know. I, I just, I'm dying to know about you and your life. Like, I don't care about a lot of people's lives, but I care about your life. Thanks. Where did you grow up? In New York? I grew up like uh, the suburbs, like an hour north of here, Rockland County. Oh, I didn't know that. She's done Levity Live. Um, yeah. Yeah, my sister works at Levity Live. She still lives there. Oh, that's so interesting. And it's just you and your sister? Yeah, I, I actually have a, a half brother and a half sister, but I don't count. Like, I legitimately don't consider them like brothers and sisters. And it's not it's not a knock on them at all. It's just I didn't know them. Mm. And like, my dad was a fucking Puerto Rican, you know, piece of shit who was just spreading the seed around everywhere. And right. Me and my half brother, my half sister, and my sister, we overlap, uh-huh. so it's like staggered our ages. So my dad was just out there <laughs> slaying it. Right, I have a half brother and sister, but they're like seventeen to twenty years young, twenty three years younger. Yeah, than me. yeah. My mom yeah. was being cheated on, and my mom like just you know she hated that woman, and like we never really considered those those kids, you know, our brothers and sisters. Are both parents Puerto Rican? No, my mom's Italian Irish. Whoa, that's what my wife is. Okay, yeah. That's an interesting combination. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so you lived with them, the, just the four of you, in Rockland County. It was, no, my dad My dad died when I was very young. How old were you? Four. My wow. Dad, my dad was stabbed to death when I was four years old. He was murdered in Patterson, New Jersey. <gasps> yeah. I didn't know that, because I knew he was murdered, but yeah. I'm from right near Patterson. What, what was it, like a drug thing? Um, I don't have too much of the story. So he was at a strip club, um, like late at night, like three, four in the morning. They got into a fight, and the guy stabbed him. Um, but yeah, I'm assuming it had something to do with drugs, whatever it was. Just some tough guy horse shit. Um, but yeah, yeah. I actually, I tried to find his killer, uh-huh. and I was going to interview him on my podcast. I thought it was just like an interesting thing to you know, because he was a kid. It was like a 15 year old kid. That's my dad was like 23. Fascinating to me. Yeah, he went to jail, but the guy ended up dying a couple years before I started looking for him. 
Um, so I was never able to do it. But, you know, just a sort of interesting conversation because I don't really hold it against the guy because he's a kid, dude. You're, you know, you're a fucking little punk ass kid from Patterson, New Jersey. Dude. You're, you know, he was probably dealing with abuse. I don't I, know. I always say that. You have to assume it, though. Yes. And, we, you know, yeah. we have kids and we, we were talking about our kids before we got on here. It's like, you know, all these kids. You know, you ha- even bad people, dude, they were just a little baby at one point and their mom didn't read to them or hug them or they got hit or they got whatever it yeah. is. And it's like that, you know, that's why I'm so vocal about peaceful parenting and about not screaming at or hitting your kids. It's because that's the one thing we can actually do to control the world. It's very practical. I think you can send good people off into the world. I agree with you so much. I can't even tell you. I'm yeah. the same way. I, I believe the same thing. I was screamed at and uh, it's affected me a lot. Yeah, of course. It, re- it really has. And I don't, I don't and even scream. if you weren't hit, even if you weren't, uh, you know, abused. The verbal stuff is bad. The verbal bad. stuff is bad. And the, the fear of being abused, the, 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 the jarringness of somebody yelling at you and telling you to do <laughs> something, yep. not having control, not having the power to negotiate. Like, you know, my kid, we have negotiations. I, I have mm-hmm. conversations with him all the time where we talk about, you know, if my son wants something, sometimes I let him negotiate his way into it because he mm-hmm. has to win sometimes. He has to feel like he's actually gotten something and accomplished something off that negotiation versus it's my way or the highway, do as I say. You know, that attitude, I think you're not creating a very strong, um, you know, uh, just you're not really creating a very strong person. They're not going to have the, the tools that they need to go and be really successful. So I think if you start really young in the formative years, um, I think they're going to have a much higher chance of being really good, well-adjusted people that know how to, you know, get what they want out of life. Do you go to therapy? I got to go back. I have been to a lot of therapy. I, I can tell. Yeah. Like literally the minute I'm listening to you talk and I'm like, he's completely worked on himself and Yeah. And I have evolved. a lot and I'm still fucking crazy and I still have anger issues and I'm still, you know, I got kicked out of a hotel last weekend for being crazy and yelling at a guy. Oh, we're going to get into all of this. Yeah, Did yeah. you, were you anxious and depressed as a kid? Um, I didn't realize Mm-hmm. I wasn't depressed as a kid because I didn't realize I became more depressed as an adult thinking back about my childhood mm-hmm. because when you're in it, you don't realize exactly how bad it is. Like I didn't realize I was being really abused, like in a really bad way. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize I was really poor. Like I didn't realize like like people I look about people people now like, yeah, I grew up poor. It's like, you know, my mom, dad, they always had trouble paying the mortgage. I was like, You had a mortgage. The idea of owning property was I know. A lot of people are who you were. I mean, this that's much more common. Yeah. A hundred percent. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I'm sorry, what was the question you asked? Well, well how were you, like when you say you were abused, because your dad wasn't around, so yeah. um, was it your mom or was it her boyfriends? Like, was No, it- no, my mom never really had boyfriends, which was weird. Um, my mom, you know, I have no idea what it was, but she just didn't really have like, I think when my dad died, I think it really did affect her in a big way and she wasn't very open about it. Um, mm. but she didn't really have boyfriends. She was just very angry and abusive. And even as like a little kid would just, you know, opt for violence in a very, very quick way. Um, you know, being hit with weapons, belts, you know, hangers, you know, whatever it was, close fists. Mm-hmm. Like, and I remember just being as a little kid, just like remembering when I was a little kid being like, this is wrong. There's no way it's right to actually hit a little kid. How are you mm-hmm. hitting? You know, you're supposed to protect your kids. So it just, you know, when I had a kid, it just clicked. I went in the opposite direction. Um, I started reading about peaceful parenting. There was a video um, on, on YouTube. There's a guy named Stefan Molyneux, who I think at this point he's considered like a big like right-wing, alt-right Trump guy, um, which I don't give a fuck about politics at all. It's like he just made this great video on peaceful parenting, and you know it, it really did break down. It was just sort of the introduction to peaceful parenting, and it was a great... I, I think if anybody... 
maybe if they're on the fence, maybe they, they lose their temper, maybe they spank their kid's hand, but you know, may, maybe if you, you've considered the fact that that's not the way to do it, I say watch that video because I think it will logically break down why you shouldn't. And it, it's not even, in my opinion, it would be way harder for me to hit my kid than it is to have a conversation with him. And, and my son... He's the sweetest kid in the world, and I don't think it's a coincidence. I think my kid is sweet. It's not a coincidence. Because we, we raise him peacefully, and we raise him to be a, you know. It's a huge thing. I didn't grow up with, with hitting. Uh, I grew up with yelling and da-da-da, but I didn't, I wasn't hit, thank God. Um, and I don't believe in, you know, and there's a lot of people who still do believe in hitting their kid and, punch, you know, anything, just really being violent. And yeah. that'll teach them a lesson. I'm like, no, that'll traumatize them and... PTSD is real, and then they're going to probably do it to their fucking kid or their girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever. Of course. Well, then people are like, oh, we have this toxic society where men are so shitty to women. Well, who's doing most of the spanking at home? Yeah. It's a whole generation, uh, you know, uh, of moms who are smacking the shit out of their kids, Mm -hmm. instilling this violence in them and instilling this fear in them. And then you have sort of this culture of like, you know, yeah, I know I have issues with women. Who do you think gave me issues with women? No, I, I get that. I, I see through things and accept, like, I can, I can understand why people are the way they are. And a lot of people are just so black and white, you yeah. know, well, he's just an asshole or she's a bitch. It's like, well, look at where they came from or what they dealt with. Yeah. You have to look at that. Yeah. In spite of it. Of course. <laughs> you know, like, you know, and I, I fight every day to not be, you know, uh, you know, an angry person. And, um, I look back at, you know, some of the shit I dealt with in my childhood and it, you know, it's. You know, you sort of feel like there's a there's a sense of, you know, it's a double edged sword because the reality is it's also why I'm able to be successful today. I don't I know. know that if I had, you know, uh, you know, middle class lifestyle, it had to be like extreme, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that it, it enables me to, you know, appreciate the journey and, and the path and how long it's sort of taken to, you know, be where I'm at and also to appreciate you know, everything. I'm, I'm very emotional about money. I'm very, like, I just remember growing up being on welfare, having my mom, you know, bring food stamps to the supermarket. And I'm so embarrassed. And I so know, just like, I, uh, it was just so like, as a little kid, it's like just the, you know, the worst feeling. So I just sort of always had the attitude of like, no, I'm going to work hard. And I've, I've literally had a job every day since I was 11 years old. I've never not worked. I've always worked for myself. I, um, you know, I was buying my own school clothes when I was like in the sixth grade, seventh grade. I was, I, I was out of the house when I was 16. See, that's so interesting. I mean, thank God and thank whatever up there that you went the other route. I mean, a lot of people just lay down and they're victims and they blame and they don't move forward. And that's really more, obviously, that's more of the reaction to growing up in an abusive home. Well, I almost did go down a really bad path. I mean, I was stealing a lot. I was I was doing some, you know, shady shit. Nothing like... I wasn't like a, I was never like a violent kid. I would get into fights and stuff just because we grew up in poverty and, you know, that's just how you dealt with it, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I would get into fights with my best friends. Yeah. Like, poor kids, that's the way it worked. Okay, I don't know how it is with kids who are from, like, middle class or upper class, but me and my buddy James Saccone or Mike Garrett, I mean, literally every one of my friends from, like, elementary school, middle school, all the Hispanic and, and poor kids and black kids that I grew up with, um, we all beat the shit out of each other yeah, in a parking my friend, lot somewhere. Yeah, the kids didn't, my, the white kids didn't do that where I grew up. No, yeah, they would, you know, they would have a conversation, <laughs> they would talk to their mom about it, their parents would maybe they get would together. They would complain, right? Right, their parents would get, they would go, get together and yes. try to settle the problem for their children. Are you yeah. fucking crazy? Me and James Saccone got into probably 10 fist fights as kids, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Me and Mike Guerrero, probably 10 fist fights as kids. You get angry, you're playing a video game, you roll around, you know, that's it. And now that's not acceptable in society. So you can't like, but right. that's just sort of, you know, my foundation and how, how we grew up. How do you feel like you got out of that path? Like, what do you think happened? What what was the shifting point for well, you? Well, there was a couple things, right? So, I, I mean, 
you know, there was a couple of real, like I used to like, we used to like steal, steal from the mall pretty regularly and I never got arrested. Luckily we were just fucking like punk ass kids. We still sneakers and there was like mm. a, a pizza guy who would like give us just sizes. And, you know, every time the, the pizza guy in the town knows everybody. Mm-hmm. So the guy who owned this pizzeria would like get like just sizes of sneakers from his friends and just tell us either men's 13, women's 11, and we have to go to Models. We'd steal the sneakers, bring them back to him, and he would pay us like 20 bucks a pair of sneakers, and he would right. sell them to his people for like 50. Um, he was going to pay us $5,000 to blow up the pizzeria so we could in- collect insurance money. Did you blow it up? No, we didn't. We we yeah. almost did, that. We were very close. Like We bought, yeah. we were just stupid kids. We were going to take lighter fluid and put it all over the restaurant, all the mm-hmm. electrical stuff, and just light a match. We are probably going to get killed. It was probably stupid. Yeah, of course. Stupid. Yeah. We didn't do it. Um, he actually pulled the uh, he pulled the plug on. It. He was like, "Yeah, don't do it." And then <laughs> you guys were like, "Okay." We were going to do it. Like we yeah. straight up bought everything. The shit I almost did and even did. Yeah. Growing up, it's a miracle I'm okay. Yeah. I almost robbed a KFC. Um, I was gonna like pretend I had a gun in my pocket. Like I was gonna put a screwdriver in my pocket. Was that for the biscuits or was that? Yeah, for I just the loved. Money? I loved the I original loved recipe. The, yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I do love KFC or Popeyes. What do you say? <sighs> I don't know. I think KFC. I agree. I don't know. Popeyes is fine. It's good. Yeah. I mean, KFC is the original. Yeah. So it's just, I don't care. I love chicken so much, I would eat it. Yeah. I would just see a live chicken and I just love, snap its neck and I eat it. I love food so much. I'm joking. I would never do that. I'm Jewish. I would never Chickens are probably- I'm going to kill an ant. The only animal that I could probably, if, you, if, if all the animals that I eat- um, I think I could kill a chicken. I, well, you do? Well, I, th- I could never kill like an the old, animal. The old Patrice bit. It's fucking great. Where he's like, he's like, I kill a fish though, because I don't got no eyebrows. Just look at you. That's hilarious. <laughs> I I sh- I have killed fish. I've gone fishing. Um, I don't know if I've ever actually killed the fish. I mean, I didn't kill it. I didn't like take a you know a knife and stab it. But I caught fish and they died in the boat. Oh, you just let it suffocate. And oh, they, yeah, they just flop around. Tortured and then... it instead of hitting it in the head. No, I didn't. <laughs> You're not supposed to hit it in there. Yeah, you are. You're supposed to take like a, a club. I'm not hitting. Like, I'm not clubbing anything. Yeah, but it's except way myself. Worse. I'm the only person I would club. What would you rather? Would you rather one? I love. Would you rather? We can do this the whole fucking podcast. This is your death. Okay. Okay. Oh, one, I can't wait to talk one about one blunt, swift hit to the head. Uh huh. Brain splatter everywhere, but it's but done. Do I have to see the thing and everything? I have to see no, it no, coming no, at is, me. Uh yeah. Nah. Yeah, one eye open looking up at it. Jesus, that's okay. a lot. Or or somebody suffocates you slowly. As everyone's dancing around drinking coronas while you're on the ground just suffocating. How are they suffocating me? <laughs> um, well, I guess you know it's the opposite of a fish. So a fish, it's like if you'd be drowning. Let's say somebody drowns you. That's the best way. Because I'm assuming when a fish is on a boat flopping around, it feels like it's drowning. I know this right? sounds weird, but I might want to drown. I I think Jessica, I'm sick in the head. You I are know. Sick in the head. It seems more erotic. It's so quick, just the... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could see... I don't know. That moment of seeing the thing coming at my head, I, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. This is really going to bother me Drowning, now. Drowning is one of the worst ways to go. Can I, would, I get hit in the head and then be half dead and then be drowned? That's the worst situation. That's worse. <laughs> just a little bit of both. A little <laughs> column A, a little column B. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm being tickled. <laughs> yeah, I think if I had to... Yeah, chickens are, um, I don't know. They're what not, would you do? You'd, you'd, oh, God. You would I wonder just if, if, I, if you had a guess how to kill a chicken, because we'd have to look it Cut up. its head off. We'd have to but look I it think up. It's but how moves. would you do it? Let me explain something. I would never kill an animal, but if I had to kill a chicken, like, to support my children, 
Let, yeah. Let's put it that way. If I cut its head off and it kept moving, I would end up in a mental institution, <laughs> rocking in a corner, <laughs> drooling, flicking a light. I could not see it move after I tried to kill it. Could yeah. you? Um, you you know, probably could. I could. I, I'm, I've never killed an animal in my life. I, I don't even kill bugs, right? I yeah, me all, either. I, I, you know, a roach. A ro- roaches deserve death. Um, but, you know, any other bug, I couldn't even kill. So I would have a hard time, but... If you had to, like your son has to eat. I would way rather do that than like a cow or like a, a sheep or like a, uh, you know, whatever else people but eat. But chickens pigs. are really anxious and running around and they're very dramatic. It might be better to just kill something that just stands there. Jessica, if me and you had to kill a chicken, you can give us a fucking year. We're not catching this chicken. <laughs> We're not going to hold it in the... Pro- We're going to cut catching our thumb it. off. I can't even barely... <laughs> with a chicken breast on a plate, I can barely function <laughs> eating it. I you can't can barely even... cut a chicken breast sitting on a plate. I, I'm not running around a room. I'm not running it's around like, a room for a chicken. A I don't Rocky, care who's it. Yeah. If you can catch a chicken, I mean, there's no, me and you are starving to death. We would sooner eat each other before we could catch this chicken. <laughs> hold it by its, how do you even do it? It would be two of us. One of us would hold its head, the I other would one be, would hold its feet. You understand, I'd be screaming on top, I'd be completely traumatized. <laughs> can we please would, film a bonus part of this podcast where me and you have to go and catch and kill a live chicken and see if can we can do it? Can we catch it? I don't know if we can kill it. Do, can we just go try to catch a chicken? If we didn't have Google, I mean, how what would be the process? So you'd catch it? Yeah. And then you'd, I mean, how, one person kills a chicken, right? Because how do you hold its neck in the proper place? Well, I don't, do we have to kill it? Can't we just fuck it? <laughs> yes. I think that's more humane. <laughs> I, I can't kill a chicken. I can't. Yeah. I can't kill, I don't, I, I'm being honest with you, I can't kill, it's like killing a person who's like, please, no, 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 please, no, no, no. Like, that's a chicken. Whereas oh, someone really, else is just like, fine, fucking kill me. It's yeah. easier to kill that. Like a sheep would be that kind of A cow animal. looks like it has no fear. A yeah. cow's just sitting there, it's like it's depressed. Yeah. Like, oh, that's a why cow they, looks they, like it almost wants to be killed. You yeah, know? they do. And, and they just, uh, please help. Yeah, kill me. Kill me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's Maybe what that's saying. what they're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Slap my throat. <laughs> What about a? I can't kill a pig either. Yeah, um, I just couldn't do it. Well, now they, aren't they saying like pigs are, are smarter than dogs? Yeah, they're very pig, pigs are smarter than most of the audiences we perform That's for. True. Yeah, pigs are smarter than. I think students. I'd get more response from a group of pigs than yeah. an audience sometimes. Yeah, well, you've never been to Tampa. A lot of pigs now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Good crowds. <laughs> I have been there, and it's okay. not easy. That's why I'm laughing so yeah. hard. So, so you grew up. So your mom. Then you grew up with your mom and your brother alone. My sister. I, I sister. mean, your sister alone in the house with your mom. Yeah. And your mom passed, didn't she? Yeah, my mom died when I was like 22. Um, and it was uh, right after I moved to New York. Now, New York New York, and comedy is it's what saved me. It's what made me mm-hmm. just not go down the path of, of being a dummy anymore. Because I was just, you know, it was... You know, I was starting to sell drugs, but it wasn't real. Like, it sounds worse, right? I wasn't selling, selling a crack on a corner. I was, like, buying large amounts of weed and bagging well, up I did my it friends too. and I've, mushrooms. And I've, like, d- I've sold weed, too. Yeah, it's just, like, yeah. that type of stuff. But it was, I was going down a path, and it's just the, the reality is this. Um, once you start going down whatever path and you start to see some sort of success... Um, the successes and the, the positive sides of that path, even if it's like a shady stuff, stuff like stealing or selling drugs or whatever it is, 
um, starts to become intoxicating. You start to go, oh, this is something that I'm good at, right? So I wasn't really good at much, and I started becoming good at, like, stealing and, and doing shady things and mm-hmm. just sort of... And then I had a girlfriend that I was dating, and uh, she was a year younger than me, and she ended up going to school in New York, so I sort of followed her here, mm-hmm. and I, I went to Baruch College for a semester. Oh, wow. And I answered an ad in the Village Voice for um, the New York Comedy Club uh, to sell comedy club tickets on the street mm-hmm. when I was 19 years old. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy? I remember it. I've known you a long time. Oh, yeah. That's what I did for a very, very long time, and that's how I got introduced to comedy. Um, but, you know, as a, you know, I was selling, I was stealing sneakers and selling them for 20 bucks a pop and selling a little bit of weed here and there. My f- I came out to do this job because I needed some some extra scratch, and I was like, you know, promote comedy clubs in New York City. It was all commission-based. You'd sell tickets to strangers mm-hmm. on the street. And, um, you know, the first day I looked at it, I made like a hundred bucks and I was like, whoa. Yeah. And the first week I made probably like six, seven hundred dollars. And it was the most more money than my mom, twice as much money as my mom had ever made in her entire life in a week. And it was just selling. I was very good. Very, very good at selling comedy club tickets. I was very good at just approaching a stranger. You were. Very good at also just looking at the process, like saying, okay, well, if they say no. I mean, I'm just closer to a yes. Every time, you know, it's it's ratios. I stop four people, one of them buy. Cool. Let me stop three people and get the next one to buy. And I could, I'm, I'm a salesman at heart, so I was able to really. That's what helps with your comedy career too. Yeah, it's half of it. It's it just connects the other the half is being funny. The rejection, the, the rejection rolls over your that's shoulders. The, that's the only people that really make it. Yeah, exactly. I hate to say it, but it's really true. So, um, that. You know, that was way more successful than stealing or selling weed or whatever else I was doing. I had nothing else going on. I had no real clear plan for what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just started selling comic club tickets and I became really, really good at it. And that's literally what saved me. It's what, you know, I, I it was maybe a, a week before 9-11. I, I, it was the first day that I did it. And then 9-11 happened. I had to take like a week off. And, you know, it... Uh, we came back out like a week after 9-11 and, I, you know, the level of appreciation that people in the streets had for us being out there right after 9-11. Wow. Like, people were just like, you know, we need to laugh. New York, that's the cool <coughs> thing about Excuse New York. And, you know, New York City is, it's a really badass city. And people got to understand, because I was here during 9-11. I was at Baruch College. I was in school that day. Um, you know, New York, there was like two days of people being sad. I know I lived right in the city. You know, and, and I, I'm not disparaging anybody else's experience. I'm, 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 mm-hmm. I'm, you know, obviously I'm exaggerating. You know, there was plenty of people that were affected in a bigger way. I still have nightmares to this day, but I'm just letting you know collectively the attitude of New York was "fuck you." Mm-hmm. We're not going to let the terrorists win. Yeah, put another fucking building up as fast as possible, which I loved. And the, the, the Freedom Tower is beautiful, by the way. Yeah. It's beautiful. Okay, they, and it was like make it bigger, make it shiner, make it an easier target to hit, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. That was New York's attitude. You know, New York. You know, these guys. I, I had Mark DeMeo on my podcast, who was a former cop. He was a cop at the time, and I asked him, I was like, dude, did any guys like call out of like work? Mm-mm. He was like, not one. No, nope. like, I don't know a single cop that didn't show up. And because I'm telling you right now, I got a kid. I'm not going to work that day. No fucking way. You think I'm? You think I'm going towards the burning buildings when I got a kid in the opposite direction? I got to mm-hmm. go home and say. I'm sorry, I'm not that brave, but the fact that every fucking cop I know went and in, firemen, every fireman went in. I mean, they went into hell, and they weren't. Even, they were just called in. They were yep. off. They were yeah, volunteer. Yep. 
Dude, it was crazy. And the attitude that New York had, it made me like, I was like, holy shit, this is the coolest city in the world. It made me fall in love with the city. And to be honest with you, it made me fall in love with the comedy because the comedy clubs were open a week later as well. I know. And every I comic remember was, it like it was joking yesterday. about 9-11. Yep. Every fucking comic was joking about 9-11. Mm-hmm. And there were people in the audience who were very deeply affected. But nobody was triggered. Everyone understood that that was something that needed to be done. I know. This is the foundation of what I see in comedy, right? So people are like, oh, you like to say fucked up shit. It's like, no, 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 no. I see the power in saying fucked up shit. I, I watched I watched us under attack, and then I watched comedians go up and said, the only thing we could do is write some fucking jokes about it. And audiences were fucking rolling. Mm-hmm. It was it was this collective moment of like, well, what else are we going to do? You know. And for me, that was a very powerful time. I, I don't know that I would have continued down the path of being a comedian, falling in love with comedy the way that I did. It was it was a really it was interesting. So I'm just saying, you know, worth it completely. Yeah. Nine eleven. <laughs> I thank God for 9-11 or you wouldn't have thank kept God doing Thank God for 9-11. Comedy. That's what I say. Thank God for 9-11 or I wouldn't be checking the burners and the, the lot of my front door every night. My horse shit at the New York Comedy Club if it wasn't for 9-11, yeah, yeah. guys. Thank God. You really, you gave us Lewis to all the terrorists. You gave us Lewis J. So worth it. Gomez. Yeah. So, Lewis, so you started doing comedy and you feel like it was therapeutic, obviously. Yeah, yeah, of course it's therapeutic. Well, with the anger stuff, how do you deal with It's very hard for me sometimes when I'm on stage because you said you have anger issues. What gets you the most pissed off? Um, or what are some things, not just one thing? but It's not even like anything really gets me pissed off. It's a psychological issue for me. So it's not like, you know what grinds my gears? You know, the the Republicans. Like, no, it's nothing like that. I don't really care enough. About, like, I'm, I'm a narcissist to a certain degree. So um, am I. I thought I was until I had a kid. Now, you know, you know, I, I do... You know, I have extreme empathy for him, and you know, but he's probably the only one. There's nobody else. Nobody I, else. I get it. I'll step, I'm like, o- I'll step her over too. an old lady that's on fire to just fucking get to the subway on time. Are you kidding me? But, no, you wouldn't. You're a very good person maybe, at heart. Maybe Jessica, you are. Um, but I'm saying, like, with people, there, there's things that people do that make me fucking insane. Like, that's what gets me angry. Like passive aggressive people. Yeah. There's certain things that get me really angry, or even the audience if someone you know, does something like goes wrap it up with their finger or you're not fun. I can really, Oh, I'll ask you I out too. hate that. I do that sometimes. Yeah. I, me too. I mean, I wish I was uh, more clever. <laughs> I wish that yeah. I, I wish that I didn't just scream loudly. Um, nine out of 10 times it works. One out of 10 times the club is like, what is wrong with you? I mean, yeah. that woman is going to have a lawsuit against us. <laughs> Well, you said you had a thing happen the other day. What happened? Um, I'll give you the long story short because I don't want to bore you with the details. But No, it's yeah. interesting to me that you got kicked out of a hotel. Yeah, I was smoking. Essentially, I was smoking. I wasn't smoking weed in there. I rolled weed in the room, went outside to smoke it. But also, when I went to go outside to smoke it, I ordered a sandwich. And I just, I was kind of an asshole <laughs> to the chick at the bar. And I was an asshole to the guy at the front because I forgot my card. I was sort of being, and then they were, I think they just like smelled weed on me. They were like, what is this? We're going to kick him out of this hotel. So they followed me up to the room, and they're like, you're smoking weed in here. And I was like, I'm not. And me and the guy started cursing each other out. And then um, he went downstairs, and then I, I went to go tell the manager on him. Like, he's the problem. <laughs> it's just fucking crazy. They're like, so you got to go now. <laughs> it was yeah, it was a little bit nuts. So, um, Do you feel bad after that? that you, do you wish you reacted differently? Like, what goes through your head? Um, I do wish that I reacted differently. Um, essentially... You know, I'm not, uh, I have this sort of like uh, theory, right? Like, let's say we were to, because um, we're, we're just trying to be as successful as possible, right? Mm-hmm. I, like, for me, I'm trying to be as successful as possible, make as much money as possible, you know, uh, you know, be able to leave my son some things beyond just, you know, some material possessions, you know, mm-hmm. actually try to build something for him. Um, and, 
you know, I think that that's not, I know that's not how I should act. Like if we can step outside of our bodies and give ourselves advice, we know I would never be like, dude, come here. Go fucking freak out on the manager of the hotel right now. This is the best move right now for you to be as successful as possible. This right. is it. This is going to really help you this in your career the, and your the, life. It's never the path, right? And I know that. And it's hard to step outside of myself sometimes. That's where I when know. the rage kicks in mm -hmm. and some I feel justified for whatever it is, I will just go bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's for my mom. That was my mom completely. My mom would, it's like my mom was like a, a crazy heroin addict, female Larry David, where it's like she would just like something, she would take something the wrong way and then that would be that. And she'd be, you know, over the top. I watched so my mom she was an addict. Yeah, but I didn't even know that until I was. Of course, you don't know that. Way older, I didn't like my mom had a you know a heroin problem. I didn't realize that until I was like twelve or thirteen years old. Yeah, you don't know it when you're a kid, and then you realize it, and you start learning about it, and you're like, oh boy, yeah. yeah. So does she never got sober? She did get so well. She didn't get sober. She she was on uh, methadone, which that's mm -hmm. how I found out what it was because I f I figured out what methadone was when I was a teenager, and mm -hmm. she'd been taking it since I was a kid. So it all sort of was like, oh shit. Um, so she, yeah, she was like essentially taking legal heroin at night, every night um, mm -hmm. in her bed. So, and then yeah, when she, she, that's when she died. She died of a heroin overdose, but it was like, it was essentially she committed suicide through heroin. She was trying to kill herself with heroin. Yeah. It's really, well, I'm just, um, the interesting thing is you're talking about all this stuff. I lately have been hearing a lot about that, unfortunately, with people with heroin and different things that they're you know, purposely ODing or they're ODing by mistake or whatever mm. it is. I, you know, I've dealt with addiction for my whole life since I can remember. Um, and it's to be the child of that is really like, I didn't know if you ever went to Al-Anon or did any of that work to understand, like, were you able to have compassion with her with the addiction stuff or is it? I am now. Yeah. Um, as I'm older, but yeah, it was hurtful at the time, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah, I really wasn't able to like, understand or like know better to not make her feel guilty because of the darkness you of know. course you know so yeah as i've gotten older but you know it's too late now yeah that's why i tell people i'm like dude i haven't talked to my mom in years like just go do it idiot do it Fix see it. i feel the same way because you never know i've had sudden death in my life and you never know ever obviously when something could happen yeah and it's really hard if you don't process certain things mm -hmm. but there are ways of dealing with it when the person passes. You know, there are ways of processing that stuff. A Ouija board. Yeah, Seance. you know, you can also take heroin and that will help yeah, you. It's true. Joking. I can also see her on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Turn on the doors. You can go talk to her. <laughs> this is the end. See, I what I'm impressed with with you is that you turned it all around and did something opposite than what you grew up with, which is very much how I am as a parent. I do a lot of things that I wanted that I didn't get. And it really makes me feel good. I also uh, go into action a lot, which it sounds like you do. You don't lay down and go, poor me, poor me, poor me. I'm a yeah. victim. You've taken action, which is a really good lesson for people to hear on this podcast. Well, yeah, I think there's... You've um, built a huge business. Yeah, a few of them. Um, yeah, what's, what? tell people what you've done. It's really interesting. So, yeah, I, I mean, I own a, a podcast network called Gas Digital Network, and it's, you know, very popular. We have our own platform. Um, you know, we have a, a few million listens a week collectively between all of our shows. Amazing. And uh, I host three of my own podcasts per week. I run a, a great comedy festival called Skank Fest, which you've been a part of and you're going to be a part of again yeah. this year. 
Um, we have our own ad sales company that was sort of born from the ashes of, of Gas Digital, and, and we, we started selling ads off our network. So we work with another dozen brands off network. Merch company, podcastmerch.com, um, and we do studio rentals. We're about to launch our own studios in Los Angeles as well as New York. So we do podcast studio rentals, podcasting for all um, is, is the concept there. And we're going to expand out to ideally four, uh, four cities by the end of 2021. So there are massive amazing. opportunities that you can create for yourself. Um, you know, and for me, you know, nobody was ever going to hand me anything in this industry. Right. What made you, because I think this is very important because you and I are very similar this way. I've always taken it into my own hands instead of waiting yeah. for someone to do it for me. Um, you know, I'm just not that good at things. I'm not that talented. I think that uh, I have to hustle because nobody was ever like, that's the guy. And they were like, yeah, me either. I mean, no, like, I, I'm talking, like, I never went on the road with people. I never really opened for people. I never really was just handed a weekly spot where you can just come in every week and do that. It was like everything was just like such a hustle um, that eventually, once again, the you know, I started finding some success in certain paths um, and... I, I mean, I'm way, I'm also way better creatively when I work for myself. So, you know, with yeah. art or comedy specifically, you know, it's like we have to constantly, you know, we're constantly compromising what we think is funny, whether we know it or not, right? So mm -hmm. we're trying to work within the industry or we have an agent or a manager, we're working for this club, Essie's in the room, whoever, you know, another comic there that you look up to is sort of mm -hmm. like, you know, other other comics that you hate are there and they look, oh, I can't bomb today. Whatever it is, you got to do the Tonight Show. You're, but it's constantly shifting and compromising the parameters, right? And you're constantly having to kind of like fit yourself into this thing. And for me, if I'm thinking about it and I'm overthinking, I'm not, and I'm not just reacting, that's, I'm not going to be my funniest. For me, I have to not really have many restrictions or parameters. And then I get yeah, to take those chances. And once you take those, and then, you know, you say a lot of stupid stuff. I bomb a lot. I'll have those things that don't, you know, it doesn't always work out. But I think that I'm way better creatively because I don't have the same type of restrictions that a lot of my, my peers have. Yes, you know? they do. I mean, really, we are told a lot what we should, shouldn't say, you know, don't do this. Don't. The more I've kind of just been free with it and said whatever I want to say and not restricted myself, the more I've gotten That's a why fan we got base. Into and this. I know. I didn't get into this to have a boss. No, if, I didn't if you either. You told me, even when I started, like, you know, that it was going to be a world where it's like, you know, you really got to watch what you're going to say. This wouldn't have been why. I, I would have said, no, I'm not getting into comedy. That sucks. I'll, yeah. you, know, I'll, you know, I'll do something else. Um, this was a punk rock, fucking badass, cavalier type of lifestyle. And everybody was from a different perspective. Everybody had a different background. But it was like everyone sort of had this thing in comedy, which was you could be rich, you could be from poverty, whatever it is. But it was sort of like, you know, people kind of lifted their middle fingers up to the traditional path mm -hmm. in comedy. And I feel like we're moving further and further away from that. And it's more like... You know, it just feels more like a job for the young comics that are coming out now. Mm -hmm. um, and it feels like it's a little bit more difficult to navigate. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of where that all came from. I just wanted to, you know, I, I'm just not lazy. And once I started getting certain success, I just kind of kept on going down those paths. I mean. It's very admirable because a lot of people, look, if you're listening, a lot of people that... Uh, are very talented, go nowhere because they don't have that business sense and that drive. And you do. Mm. You're one of very few people that has very few that has created what you have. Yeah. I mean, you've created the whole thing. Well, comedy, you know, it is a business. We're comedians, if you, st you know, mm -hmm. if you step outside of yourself, Jessica, you know, Kirsten? Kirsten. Kirsten, damn it. 
Jessica Kirsten, the business, yeah. it's a separate business that it needs to be managed. It needs to be Yes, but a lot of people don't see grow. it like that. It's and you have to, you know, once again, step outside of yourself, right? So, you know, and you can be Jessica Kirsten. You got to be kidding me. Kirsten. Yeah. And now I'm overthinking the way to say it. It's Kirsten. No, I'm joking. It's Damn Kirsten. It. <laughs> no, it's Kirsten. But like you almost have to, you know, step outside of yourself and navigate for yourself um, because if you're just emotional and you're just the artist at all times, 100% at all times, um, I think that you're going to make, you're not always going to necessarily make the right business decision yes. because they're, they're, they're counterintuitive sometimes, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, that, that side of it, um, I just like working for myself. I don't Plus like Plus you have a, a group of people that you really connect with and create with. Yeah. That work for you. Well, I'm a collaborator you. as well. So right, I, you know, which is great for me. I think that's like, everyone's got their own little superpower. Mine mm-hmm. is working well with people and getting the best out of the people that I work yeah, with. I'm so the same I have, way. whether it's producers, you know, other comedians that I work with and I'm collaborating with, I've, you know, my ad sales team. I mean, I, I work directly with everybody to, you know, to, you know, it's a, it's a net of, you know, a few hundred people at this point, and we have a pretty large fan base. So I think that's a probably huge the fan. thing. And you, do you yeah. know that I didn't even tell you this? I told Jay, but I did the DC improv, and a group of guys were there with Legions of Skanks t shirts on, came to see Good. me. And I was like, this is amazing yeah. that these guys came to see a female comic. Oh, and they, they're all wearing your... No, I just... I yeah, love I your fans because they really get comedy. They're the best fans in the world. And the, they've been following my stuff, I'm which sure is like... Have. Not we, everyone does that. You're great. You're easy to follow. Thank though, you. you know? so the, but the reality is this. The cool part about the fan base is that even, even though they, you know, they look they look weird. They got beards. They're big guys. They got black t-shirts. They look like they're, they're going to OzFest or whatever. They look right? like me without a yes, beard. They look like Jessica... <laughs> And if I don't get waxed every week, I will have a beard, just so you know. So, but they are also the most supportive fan base in the world. And uh, we talk about comedy in such a, we romanticize it. That's the one thing about like me, Dave, and Jay, even though we're, you know, we say crazy things and say every word under the sun, right? Um, with stand-up comedy and sort of what we do, we, you know, we have such an appreciation for it. And we, we talk about it in such a way that like our fan base, they go to comedy clubs, they tip more than other people. Yeah, they're great. They're more attentive. They don't heckle. If somebody else is heckling, the first people would be like, shut the fuck up. You know, like they're... They, and they also understand the process of a young comic starting off and not, you know, being in the place where they can kill the same way a guy like Big J or like you can. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they see some of these young bucks come on my podcast and they're like, oh, shit, well, you know what? That person's been doing comedy for a couple of years, but they they see something and they go, oh, there's a reason that everybody likes them. And there's also something very sort of like punk rock about like being there before anybody else is. And that's why I think Skankfest is really successful as well because people, it feels it's like amazing. this underground festival where you're like, yeah. what's going on? Like, if you're in the know, you're in the know. And the people that go are like, this is the greatest time we'll ever have. And then from the outside, people are like, what the fuck is that? That look, that looks scary. I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, but with each year, we grow in such an amazing way. And when people come and see that fan base, that's a beautiful part. Like, you know, watching watching the guys we fuck girls who we had like a, a beef with. They hated us because we were so like anti-feminist. We're not anti-feminist. I think I'm a feminist. I think I just treat everyone equally. But the problem is when you call a woman an asshole, she's like, you hate women. It's like, no, no, no. I'm calling yeah. you an asshole yeah. because you're being an asshole. I know. People I'm an asshole. into it. They label yeah. you. I know. So, but to have those girls come out and like now for the second year in a row, like they were, this year they're like, oh, we really want to do it as guys we fuck because they came last year and just did stand up and they saw the fan base who 
they were kind of like going out there wincing. Like, are they going to like be shitty to us? Are they going to heckle us? I mean, these guys are so fucking supportive. They are. I mean, I have to be honest. I was a little nervous. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go. They're really big comedy fans. They're really hard. Like, meaning they're, they know what's funny. They know what isn't. They want to and laugh, then though. I, it's a dance I with know, comedy. I know. I know. That's a, ba- I, I a bad it. comedy audience. If you guys want to know, if, if you're like, why is it packed here? But this audience kind of sucks. Probably a room that was papered. Probably a room that didn't yeah. really want to be there. They mm-hmm. won free tickets. Yeah, they're you know whatever it is. They're they're not there for that person. But when you go see an audience who wants to be there and is pumped to be there, spend hard-earned money. Sixty-two percent of our audience at Skankfest comes in from out of town. You know, they're this is their vacation. This is their entire so vacation great. for the year. This is and I'm going to be there in Houston. Yeah, in Houston, March twenty-seventh yep. to 29th. And um, that I think is what you're getting is this, you know, it's it's really a, a dance. And if they want to dance and they want to, you know, you. You know this. If you're in the mood to giggle and laugh with your friends, you're just in a giggly mood, you're just going to laugh. It's like, it's a laugh track, right? So the more the people are wanting to laugh and they're around you, it's like the, the Impractical Jokers. You watch Sal and those guys in the Impractical Jokers. Yeah. It's like, dude, all they're doing is just sort of letting you know when to laugh. And it's mm-hmm. just sort of, it gets you giggly and you're like, it's kind of addictive. And that, I think, is when you, know, you go to Skankfest, everyone kills. Everyone's like, God damn it, dude. Every fucking show, whether you're a young buck who nobody's heard of or you're like one of the headliners, um, you murder clean. I mean, we had Gaffigan a couple years ago. One of the cleanest comics in the world. Yeah, they don't care about that. They're con- they're they're very smart with comedy. Yeah. They're really good audiences. Yeah. So, what is your like? I know you want to keep building your businesses. You want to? Are, are you looking to like personally? Would you like to settle down, marry someone? You want more children? Like, <sighs> what is your? Or I mean, you don't know? I don't want any more kids. Um, you don't yeah. want one of mine. <laughs> I have so many, I don't even know what their names are. <laughs> no, one's enough for me right now. I mean, maybe later on in life. I'm not really interested um, in romantic shit right now. You mean, mean like a relationship? Yeah. It's always, uh, it always ends up being just a little bit of drama, a little bit of anxiety. I'm it never is. Able to, I'm never, never able to give them the same attention that I either give my child or my career. And it's like... Not easy. The I other know. problem is like, you know... You have a kid, and then you're like, it's very silly. Like, people that are in love, it's just kind of silly to me, where it's like they're holding hands, and they're skipping down the street, and it's like, do you even fucking give? Like, have you ever skipped down the street with someone holding hands? <laughs> no, I haven't. I don't think I ever have, unless it was like one of my gay male friends, yeah. and we were going to a club, and okay. on ecstasy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't understand that whole being so happy. I mean, yeah, a week or two, a month, it's really great. And then it just ends up being, there's drama. It's a countdown to when you guys are going to either fall out of love or... Or break up, or it's a countdown to like destruction. Now, I think in the in the mm-hmm. positive side, I think you can really you know have some sort of fulfillment. Maybe I just haven't had that since I've had my kid. Maybe I haven't had like, um, and I if I did a couple girls, and I and I was in love with my last girlfriend, but it just pales in comparison to what you feel for your kid. It does. And it's really hard there, to take it super seriously, especially when the problems come in. And and I go like, this isn't what I have with my kid. Like my kid, you'd have to you know. You know, for me not to see my kid, you'd have to kill me. You know what I'm saying? And also, it's like, why add extra stress to your life yeah. when you have? And and I I I have never had love for anything like I've had for my children. I know I never thought I would say that. I never even thought I'd have kids. Yeah. But when my kids, you know, I was with Zoe the other day, my 13 year old, and she's hugging me and kissing me and crawling on me and like laying on. I was like, this is heaven. Yeah. There's nothing more. 
you know, when my four year old Isabella. I would love Isabella, a 13 year old girl hugging me, kissing me, crying. It does sound like heaven. You're right. It is heaven. <laughs> no, not in that way. I'm not She's really pretty. <laughs> but, oh, now I'm going to kill you and I'm going to vomit. <laughs> what about a four year old? <laughs> oh my God. Is that too young? For a little bit too young. Okay. Know. My four year old will do it. I love you, mom. I have good shows. Like she just said that Aww. to me when I left. How cute is that? Aww. You know, my son, he's at an age now too, where because you know I do I do really dirty comedy, and you know I have to, I have to like answer for that at one point. It's not just like telling jokes where they're like worked out, and it's like, well, it's a craft. It's like, no, me and Big J jerked over jerked each other off the flashlights one time. It's just you know, it's just out there. It's, Holy shit! Can I be on that show? The next <laughs> you <time>? can. <laughs> and. I'm going to have to have a conversation with my kid one day. Yeah. So, you know, I, I did talk to him recently because he heard, like, I was, like, listening to a podcast clip or something that one of my producers sent me, and he heard me curse. He's like, Dad, you use a, you know, dirty word. And I said, I was like, James, well, you know, that's what Dad does. I was like, I use really dirty words when I when I tell jokes. I was like, I do adult comedy, and, you know, most comedy is for adults, but I do really, really adult comedy. So now that it's what he says, he's like, my dad does adult comedy. Like, <laughs> not just adult comedy, really, really <laughs> I love the comedy. way they say things. Yeah. It is so funny. It's so cute, yeah. It is. I mean, I, yeah, I, the relationship thing is also hard when you're, I don't know, if I were a straight male comic and on the road and doing all this, boy, oh boy, I don't know if I would settle down. I don't know. Thank you so much to all of my Patreon members for supporting the podcast. All right, hold up. Could you take a little off, off the peas? You're hitting them too hard. The Not action. Thank you so much to all of my Patreon members for supporting the podcast. Hold on, now you're whispering Patreon. Is there a reason oh. you're whispering? Well, you said to take the put Somewhere like, in the middle. Okay, okay. Ready? Action. Thank you so much to all of my Patreon members. Now you got to pause. For those of you who don't know, Patreon members, is that okay? Patre <laughs> it was perfect. Why'd you stop? Oh, okay. Patreon members. Cut. Let's go back to the beginning. Thank you and so much. And action. Thank you so much to all my Patreon members for supporting the podcast. For those of you who don't know, Patreon members get early access to the podcast, ad-free episodes, and access to monthly live streams where we talk more about... All right, let's take it back to the beginning. That was perfect. Do it exactly like that. I just did it well, though, Except but why are you starting over? Thank you so much to all of my patron... Cut. Why are you screaming? Because I'm just trying to get through this. Action. Thank you so much to all of Action. my... Thank you so much to all of my Patreon members. For those of you who don't know, Patreon members get early access to the podcast. Perfect. Keep going. There's so many P's. Keep going. Keep going. Ad-free episodes. You could cut this out, right? For those of you who don't know, Patreon members get early access to the podcast, ad-free episodes, and access to monthly live streams where we talk more about being relatively sane. Hold up. Did we agree on monthly live streams? Yes, you told me I should do them because it'll get more members. I don't know how to do a monthly live stream. Don't you just talk in your phone? Uh, we'll figure it out. Come on, let's get through this. We have to go. We should okay. speed this up. All right. Thank you so much to all my Patreon members for supporting this podcast. For those of you who don't know, Patreon members get early access to the podcast, ad-free episodes, and access to monthly live streams. We don't know what that is, but whatever. Where we talk about being relatively sane. If you want to join our fantastic community that is so corny, go to patreon.com slash Jessica Curson. That's patriot.com slash Jessica Curson. That's patreon. I think you said patriot.com. Go to petroleum I mean patreon.com slash Jessica Curson. That's patreon.com slash Jessica Curson. Patreon.com slash Jessica Curson. Thanks again. And cut. That's a wrap. Ugh. It's I really like I, I mean being single. 
Yeah, I I would assume. I mean, why why wouldn't you? Yeah, I like being <laughs> single. I like not feeling the the guilt of even if it's not fucking around, even if it's just like, you know, the text message, because it's hard to avoid that. So, you know, a cute chick is in your inbox and you're like, oh, hey, just to, to have that feeling of, you know, you want to feel hot again, baby. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I still got it, you know, and I think you need that to, you know, so it's a, it's a great, like Patrice, I don't know if we, where he said it, but that like concept of sort of like women f- fall for us because we hunt and we hunt them and they like that, you know, that, 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 whatever that is about us being yes. like, and then- when they have us, they don't want us to hunt anymore. But it's like, then you're not going to be attracted to us anymore. It's like, you, you want still... So I think that I have very, I'm, you know, very big libido, Hispanic, Italian, you know, uh, you know... Man, period. Like just a man I just mean, in men general. Are animals. And, and I'm unapologetic. The problem with everyone, everyone else is a pussy, okay? The problem is, every man actually thinks this way, ready? And all the other guys who are saying it's wrong to think this way, those are the guys to watch out for because those guys are being manipulative. Those guys are, are not being completely honest about what they're thinking, what they're feeling. Um, you want some- I get what you're saying because I can see right through it a lot. Oh, it's, and I'm not saying that they're like attacking women. I think that's an extreme version of it. But what I think you're getting is you're getting real manipulation. With me, you, you, what you see is what you get. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not gonna, like, I'm very, very clear. So I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I just- you're saying I, I want to just have fun. I'm not looking for like a very serious, heavy thing. Yeah, and women just, that's all they want. Well, that's all they'll hear too sometimes. They won't hear what's really, what you're really saying. They'll still think they can they can get in there and, ha- and make you, you know, make you change your mind. No. I mean, I've done it. I've thought that. The anxiety of, of just being in a thing constantly or having to, you know, f- feeling guilty, whatever it is. That that is what I don't miss, and I like being able to just sort of make a decision and do what I do, and and not have to really answer to anybody. Once again, I don't have a job. I can't have a job. I can't even work for fucking you know, comedy clubs or you know the. I mean, I do, but it's like it's different. I mean, most of the time I do door deals because I work under my own parameters. You know, it's yeah. like I just. Um. So even with like a girlfriend, um, it ends. I. I end up sort of being subservient as well, and I weirdly fall in line, like maybe because I didn't have a good mom, like and I, I sort of almost like fall in line. I bow down a little bit too much, and then it's like this weird, weird dynamic. You know, dynamic. it's so interesting what you just said because I've talked about in therapy for years that I am so powerful on stage and in my business. Like I don't give a fuck, da da da. da. Mm-hmm. But in relationships, I get very weak a lot, yeah. And I allow things that I wouldn't allow other people to. You know, it's really interesting. Yeah. And it could be with a friend, it could be with a family member, a partner. I, I become like, like my therapist once said to me, you're like Oliver, like you're begging for food. It's yeah. like you're, you become pathetic. And I said, thank you for saying that. It helped me because I am pathetic. I'm being pathetic. Yeah. I think maybe it's because you, you, you're similar to me in the sense that um, you sort of have, you want to be in control. Mm-hmm. You're your own boss. You have a, you know, a powerful presence. You, um, and then I think that maybe because of that, you and I can only see things in terms of that dynamic. Mm-hmm. One person has to be powerful. One person has to be weak. And then, you know, we're all day long, we're powerful, powerful, powerful. We're putting on that front, even though we're not, even though we're fucking crying inside or whatever else is going on in our fucking yeah, lives. Exactly. Then we go home, we go, finally get to be weak. Fine, I'll be, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll be submissive to you. So, um, but I think the reality is like, you know, you know, this is, I don't even really agree with this. I, I like 
trying to be more and more powerful. I'm crazy. I read all those like books, like 48 Laws of Power and self-help books. Yeah, I love and, like, that stuff too. Yeah, I, because I, you know, for me that motivates Intentions and me. energy, I, I believe in all it of It really that. motivates me. And, you know, it's whatever sort of gets you going. For, you know, my son's mother is just not like that. The idea of her like wanting to chase power, she's like, that's crazy. That mm-hmm. sounds like what a crazy person would say. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 I want to be the most powerful person in my circle. It's like powerful. Yeah. Are you using the word and, powerful and right the now? the most powerful you can be yeah. as a human. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's a little rising. Bit, it's a little crazy, but I think that I need, you know, I need to sort of have that attitude in order to be successful. In you know? this business, you do. Yeah. You do. You need to think big, be powerful, fake it until you make it. You got to do all that shit. Yeah. And it's why you have all this stuff going on in success because yeah. you've taken action. And even when you get knocked down, you get right back up and do it again. And you have to have this like undeni- undeniable belief in this intangible thing that doesn't exist. Right. So we're chasing this, whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. When you start, when you sit down and you write a script, when you, you know, and I, I haven't written a script in a while. I've sort of given up on the idea that no one's going to buy a script for me. Um, but when you sit down, you, you're literally going like, I'm about to put, minimum six months in to really like a pilot really yeah to make it work and to collaborate with a friend and meet you know three times a week to do this minimum six months i've I've taken a a year i've taken two years to write a script you know yeah um and it is a to do that and have the motivation to really put all you're all into it because there's nobody paying you to do it for the most part we're not fucking you know these these guys there are you know people get paid to just write scripts like that's not what happens there we're literally taking a blind shot you have to have a real belief in your ability, you know, and mm-hmm. that, you know, that some people have it. Some people don't. Some people can say it's a, it's a salesman thing in me. Right. So for me, it's like sales is like creating money from thin air. It's this intangible yeah. thing. It's like I'm using my words in order to put money into a bank account. And then I get really I love that idea. It's like a game. Mm-hmm. You know, if you really, to really think about it, there's a series of words that I could say to you right now. Just right now. There's a series of words that I can say to you where I can move money out of your pocket and into my bank account right now. That's a little game in life. And that's the way that I sort of look at this business and everything that I do is I'm playing this game and, and my pieces really are my words. Cause I don't, I don't really, I don't, I don't fucking lay bricks. I don't build houses. Mm-hmm. I, I just speak. Um, and how can I figure out a way to sort of manipulate the bad word, but it's the truth. But no, manipulate I know that's well. That's what salespeople do. The whole system, whether right. it's people, people around me, the you know all the the factors, and then just keep on putting money into this bank account. Mm-hmm. And when you step back from it, and you're not emotional about it, and you re- you look at it like it's a game. I mean, this is the way that you know people become billionaires. I know being the being like not being emotional is very important. Yeah, very because. If I reacted to every single thing I deal with every day in this business or in my life, or I, I wouldn't be able to function. Well, powerful people don't react. Yeah, like that. you don't see them get I emotional. Know. You see, she's even killed. Cool, good day, bad day. You know, Mark Cuban. Do you ever think he has like an emotional day where he's like sweating and panicking, and running late to a train? Well, if he is, you're not going to see you're it. You're never going to see it. Never in a million. And he's going to hide it, and you would never even see an inch of it. Right? Mm. I know. I agree with you. I actually think you're a very sensitive, loving, romantic person. <laughs> and I do see you at some point settling down. I think now is your time with your business and your kid and all this stuff. And and it's smart. It's really smart because getting involved in all the drama is not, it just keeps you stuck. And yeah. it's energy you could be putting into. I have time later on. And then I want to show my kid, like, you know, you have to have good relationships. You know, his mom's in a really good relationship now. And, and I had a girlfriend that he was really close with for a couple of years as well. So. That's great. He's very adjusted there. He sees, you know, he sees a lot of 
it's you know it's a different lifestyle we're co-parenting oh, excuse me i'm burping oh that's okay i Harper just farted drink whiskey last night oh shit oh i didn't drink whiskey but i just i ate a lot of cheese yeah yeah um, I love the silence that just happened. Yeah. It's so good. I would have let it happen even longer, but I think some people are so filled with fear that they would have thought that it, like the podcast ended suddenly or something horrible happened. Yeah. I think, um, you know, people, people are afraid, of, especially on like podcasting, they're afraid of, of silence and they just want to like fill the time, you know, fill the air with whatever, um, I think it makes for a better audio experience sometimes when you just pause. Take I think it might be good to try it one time where there's really long pauses and see who will stick in there. That's a sales technique, by the way. If you want to know. Like statistics, um, you can look at the statistics. What they tell salespeople is like, so when they go to close you, like the final line, right? Mm -hmm. And they go, so... uh so, you know, you're going to buy this car to be, you know, 26500 it's got all this, that, the other, blah, 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 blah. What do you think? Now, the next person to speak loses. There's like a moment there where it's like the salesperson's trained to literally go, what do you think? Mm -hmm. Now, a bad salesperson is going to just take that pause. You're not going to say anything. Then they're going to go, and remember, you're going to get this and that and the other. And they're going to keep on just talking themselves. That salesperson's lost. So you can tell if you have a good or a bad salesperson in front of you. And that moment when they ask you for the money, they specifically say, well, what do you think? Do you want to do this? Take the moment. Don't speak. Let them start speaking again. If they do, they're weak, and you can take them for whatever you want. That's interesting. Any yeah, person the who's done sales, and the, you're the, right. They they know you sit there and let that person give you a, a rebuttal or a rejection, or you, they give you a rejection, and then you bring it right back around, rebut, bring it right back to logic. What do you think again? It's a it's a it's good technique, and and yeah. bad salespeople speak way too much. The person speaking more is the person who. Well, they seem desperate too. That's the person being sold. Whoever's speaking more is being sold. Mm-hmm. They're desperate. They're trying to get their ideas across. That doesn't work with stand-up at all when yeah, someone seems insecure and desperate. <laughs> like, there's people who hold their arm. They, like, hunch over. They look so insecure. I'm like, you can say anything. You yeah. can say the most brilliant thing on earth, and not one person's going to be with you because you look frightened. Yeah. So true. Yeah, and it's a sensitive art. So with stand-up, it's like you project this energy onto the crowd. You know, if you're in a mood, whatever it is, you're in your own head, it's like... Shaves off half the energy off the set. It's so it true. So especially somebody like you or me who like, you know, and you're such an incredible performer that it's like you fill the room with your energy and they feed off of that. And it's such a massive part of what comedy is. Mm -hmm. I think in New York, people are afraid to perform. Um, you know, New York is like the Dave Attell, like you got to just, you know, blah, 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 blah. I don't, I've, I've never laughed at that once. Yeah. Yeah, I it's, don't. It's I, I always say there's two kind of comics. There's takers and there's givers, and I yeah. only laugh at people that give. Yeah, you gotta. Meaning, I know they're there. They're not. They're there to really in in it completely make people laugh. Yeah, no matter what their style is, I can tell who's there for that, and I can tell who's there to get jerked off and and fill their own hole. Yeah, well, I think there's uh, there's people like you who you project that onto the crowd and they mm -hmm. feel it and then they go like, oh shit, this is an experience, you know? And to be honest with you, I think that's going to be the future of comedy as well. I do too. <clears throat> is the difference between that live experience, you know? And even me, I'm starting to ramp up my live show a little bit more. I'm thinking about what can I do to, you know, create differentiators in that experience. Me too. Um, just because, you know, the, the freedom that we have on the internet is very quickly going away. Very, very quickly. 
they're gonna it's gonna be there's gonna be words you can't say. There's gonna be trackers that are on every website and every every type of platform. You know, it's it's the freedom of the internet's going away. So the way you're gonna be able to express yourself as an artist is gonna be through live live shows and live experience. God, do I have to take my clothes off? You might have to strip. I don't know you're if I'll do that. You have to get that. naked. You have to kill a live chicken on stage. Can That's I be just your sing? <laughs> yes. Do I have to? <laughs> do I have to go on stage with just tube socks and kill a chicken Maybe. to get my career really? This is going to be it. But if you, have you ever seen Kill Tony? That show? Yeah, it's hysterical. It's. Have you done it before? Never. Do it next time you're in LA. Please let me yeah. know because you would murder. Yeah, Kill a lot Tony. of people have told me to do you, Kill Tony. Tony is such a, he's such a fucking funny I love dude. Tony. He's one of us. Dude, yeah. Tony. No, Tony, I love him. I. He's one of us. I mean, he's like, he's an LA douche, but he's one of us. No, you know, I he's know. Like Ari, I get along you know? great with him. I he's, love He's my brother from the West Coast, and he's so funny, and he's a good dude, and he really does care about comedy, um, and he cares about sort of like, he's like us, like we romanticize it, and we mm -hmm. like, that's, he does that show, and a big part of why he got excited about doing that show was the opportunity to sort of, you know, give back, but you know. You know, it, it's it's a, but the, the point I'm making is it's such a unique live experience. Um, I look at that, and there's not many other shows that are like that. I'm watching that show; it's blowing up. He's telling it all over the world right now, and it's so such a simple concept. Um, but I think we need to start taking a little bit more of a cue from those guys I and what totally, they're doing out there. I think so too. Goddamn Comedy Jam, um, the roast battle show, just the way that they did it is so much more theatrical mm -hmm. and big, and you have to be there, you have to be in the moment. Whereas we did it at the stand, and it was like, you know, the videos on YouTube were probably just as enjoyable as the live experience being there. Mm -hmm. But you go to the roast battle at the comedy store, like they couldn't capture what was going. They tried to do it on, on Comedy Central with the the wave and like what's it's like mm -hmm. they're like, what the fuck's why are these guys jumping around like that? You didn't get it. But once you're there and yeah, you feel that energy, you know, the, you know, it's so I think that's something that we have to all kind of look at and say, well, what can we do to create a more fulfilling live experience? Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be visual music, things that we can do to sort of add and to highlight the stand up because um, it's a guy with a microphone. It's it's fine. I just feel like that's not going to be what's going to sell tickets in the future. I, I totally agree. I know I do. I've been lurking. I've been learning like a lot of gymnastics moves, and um, <laughs> I'm learning how to play the harp. You know, like different things that yeah. I can do. I'm gonna. It's just uh, I'm gonna bring out live Bengal tigers. And I'm gonna oh, just do, we're gonna do a whole love, show. Yeah, that's good. At the end, I mean, I I know this won't be great for your kid, but if you can have one of them eat you, yeah, he'll be set for life. I know it's true. Seriously, you got to is is who was it? Roy or Siegfried that got eaten? I know they're both the same to me. Yeah, well, one of them got eaten by their tiger. Well, I, I, which one's what? No one even, no one knows which one. It's true. The only people that would know are the ones who are in the audience or gay men that cruise a Doesn't lot. Doesn't it suck that like that? It was just right before cell phones were around, so like nobody has cell phone footage of I know Siegfried or Roy being eaten by his tiger. Someone has to have footage of that. No, I watched the whole documentary on it. They did a comeback like years later, and they brought him out. They like put him back together, and he like wobbled out. <laughs> he fucking like pet the lion. Everyone like cried. It was awful. <laughs> it was awful. Everyone just watched it to see if the I tiger was going to attack it again. I said lion. Whatever it was. Like it's, the same. <laughs> it's all the same thing. The Himalayan. The you know, someone took. Giant cat away from me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The gorilla. Uh, yeah, I don't trust any of these animals. No, I don't either. 
I don't trust people. So I, uh, I'm so grateful that you came to do this because you're an icon in the podcast community, of course, obviously, and in New York and people just, and I also, I just want to say before we wrap this up, I was at the stand the other night and I was um, eating chicken, of course, that I had just killed. And I, yeah, I yeah. literally was eating a roasted chicken while I'm, it's hysterical. And I was looking through the glass at you filming your live podcast because you can see through in the room at the stand comedy club in new york city and i was like this he is fucking amazing like you were going around the audience giving people tastes of something you were eating what were you eating that you were giving to oh yeah i didn't have it usually i usually i pour whiskey into their mouths as we blast metal music and we just get them going try to hype yeah, them up it was for the unbelievable. show i didn't have a bottle of whiskey so i just started giving them pieces of my duck i think I'm okay like, that who would do that <laughs> He I was going it. around with a fork, giving fans, his yeah. audience members, and they were like, mm, and I'm just, and I don't hear anything. So I'm just watching the whole thing. And I'm like, it was so, I didn't know if there was like a group of people who were like in a wheelchair and you had to feed them. Yeah. I didn't know if <laughs> no, you were taking care of a group, <laughs> no. like they came for a discount. But I couldn't believe that you were doing that and you were going, whoa, whoa, and just like clapping and getting everyone pumped. And it was, yeah. I, the energy that you gave you out. You gotta make them remember No, it. you don't have to. You're very smart to do that. Yeah, well, the, the reality is they, look, you can, you can love me or hate me, whatever it is. I just know that I will make sure that people are gonna remember that I was in the room with them anytime. It so, was very smart. Yeah, it gets very. me in trouble a lot. I say the stupidest thing, because I'll say this, the first thing that comes to my mind sometimes, um, but I just always make sure, if somebody hates me, Somebody hates me. That's an emotional connection, right? In sales, you're looking for emotional triggers. I always bring mm -hmm. it back to sales, right? So we're looking for emotional triggers in sales, right? So if, if I'm selling you a car, I'm looking. I'm talking about your daughters. I'm talking about your kids. You want to buy? You want to drive into college in this car? Safety airbags, got everything. Oh, we got SiriusXM. Got all the kids' channels. I'm that's because I know that you're emotional. That's a parent's emotional trigger. Simple as that, right? So you're looking for that. And if somebody hates me. I've already done the hardest part, which is connect with them emotionally, right? They're like, I fucking hate that guy. I want to watch him fucking die. That person is way easier to turn into a fan than a person that forgets me and that never thinks about me and yeah. never says anything. Because that guy will probably get what the people that like me get. They'll, uh, he'll understand it eventually because I am a tough pill to swallow. I am abrasive, right? But most of the time, that's the story. People are like, dude, I hated him at first. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I was like, why isn't Lewis on this podcast? It would be so much better. So I just sort of have that theory that, you know, you want to be memorable and you want to create a moment. Um, and I just try to do that every time I'm on a, a podcast, on stage, in a, a meeting, in whatever it is, you know? Well, that's true. They say when you go in to pitch a show that you should be funny the second you walk in the room, you should yeah. say something or do something. To get their attention. Like Ozzy Osbourne, you bit the head off the bat. Yeah. You just do it with a chicken. You <laughs> show up every I'll meeting with a chicken. Excuse me. I'm going to do that now. <laughs> I'm going to bite the head off of a chicken. That's going to be my yeah. opener. I, I pitched a show with David Tell, and I, and I watched him just make everyone in the room laugh. And yeah, it's such that that's a visceral reaction that people, you can't, it's so, it's so real. Like everything else, everyone mm -hmm. shakes hands at a meeting. Everyone's like, oh, mm -hmm. and it's like, he was just, whatever it was, he was just on. He was just like, boom, 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 boom. And I watched him, it was almost like he was knocking down bowling pins. Like just went boom, 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 boom. Got him all the laugh, and then he went, here's business. Blah, 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 blah. So Another smart. laugh. Here's business. It was fucking, it was really I do that too. Really cool. I have to say, I do do that when I go into a I'm pitch nervous meeting. as fuck. I can't make people laugh at a yeah. pitch meeting. You, yeah, the more you yeah. do it, the more 
Well, fuck it. Who cares? You're doing it all yourself yeah. anyway. Where can people find you? Can you give them the handles to your stuff? Yeah, I uh, I got a special out. Luis J. Gomez presents Luis J. Gomez. Available at Luis J. Gomez presents Luis J. Gomez dot com. I uh, love that so much. Tour dates everywhere. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going all over the place. Me and Kurt Metzger, who are uh, really good uh, friends. Um, I love Kurt. He actually so worked much. the first day I sold Comedy Club tickets. He was he worked that same exact day, same exact corner. That's how we became friends. And then he you know, went off and became one of the most brilliant jerk writers in the world. Yeah, he really is. Um, and, um, yeah, so we're doing a tour together right now, co-headlining all over the country. And uh, I'm on social media, Gomez Comedy on Instagram, Luis J. Gomez on Twitter, and I got a bunch of podcasts, Legion of Skanks, Realized Podcasts, I believe you may, all available, gasdigitalnetwork.com. Yeah, you guys, start following Luis if you don't already. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm so sorry, I have SARS. <laughs> um no, I have this tickle in my throat. It might be a feather, but something has been making me cough for weeks. It's so annoying. But in my mind, I'm dying because I'm Jewish. Do you right. go there too? Yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm a hypochondriac, but I won't go to the doctor. I'm like, they're going to tell me I'm dying. I can't see him. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. minimally. Maybe I shouldn't have gone the other day. All right, so I really appreciate you coming. I love you. I admire you. And thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much, Jessica. You're the best. You know how much I look up to you and have looked up to you forever. Thank and, you. You know, what I always say this, it's like, you know, uh, it's, it's when good people, you know, understand what we do and appreciate it and talk about it and are vocal and you know people like you come out and do our festival and you come out and do our shows it goes such a long way mm -hmm. because people love to you know broad stroke everyone and sort of paint people in a certain light and then it's like well no jessica kirsten wouldn't be hanging out with bad people you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. kirsten I don't hang out with bad. Jessica Kirsten would. It doesn't matter. Jessica Kirsten would never. Yeah, it's really like cursing, like I'm cursing at you. Got it. Um, now I'll never forget it. I know. I that's so salesy. It's cursing, like cursing at you. But you I, should it say is, that to everyone. I don't care, really. I just need to get through the day. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I really. No, I love you. I love your podcast. I love uh, getting people going and riled up. Yeah. Um. And, uh, you know, the people that perform at the festival are comics, comics. They're all yeah, family. The best of the best. The, yeah. the festival is also, we do have a few tickets left. Skankfest.net is the website. Uh, I mean, we have everybody. Bobby Kelly's going to be there. Jim Norton. A ton of people. Uh, Florentine. Bonnie. Bonnie's coming. Voss is coming. Uh, Tom Green's going to be there. Till, uh, Kill Tony. Goddamn Comedy Jam. All the Legion of Skanks. Jessica's coming. Awesome. I mean, the, the Yamanika is going to be there. Uh, Joe List. Mark Norman. Dan Soder. It's the best comics. Tim Dillon. Shane Gillis. I mean, literally the best of the best. There's nobody... Yeah. There's not another comedy festival like it, and it's a party. It's not like when you go to JFL, you buy a ticket for a theater show, and then you see another show here. No, this is one big party. One big party, three stages. We have an outdoor stage in Houston this year. Wow. Outdoor tent, fenced in. It's going to be really cool. Air condition? Uh, the outdoor one? Probably not, but it's March. So it's gonna Don't be put easy. me on that one. Oh, okay. All right, fine. It's not no, summer. no, it's Summertime will be a problem. Okay. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot that it's in March. All right. I, uh, I love you, and I will talk to you, and thank you so much for doing this. Love you too, babe.